1: Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere in Sweden, but it's not Sweden that we're talking about today. I have a guest on the line. Uh, Daniel, are you still there?
0: Yes, indeed. Hello.
1: Hey, Daniel. It is great to have you on here. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us. I'm super excited about the next 10, 15 minutes that we're going to have.
0: Likewise. It's a real honor to be with you.
1: I was given your name from the uh, Religious Freedom Institute in Washington DC and uh, I was writing to them because in the first week of June I saw that the president signed an executive order which is super important to us that work inside of China uh, especially with the underground house church but not a lot of information is really being shared in the news right now, uh, for obvious reasons uh, about what this means. So I'm so happy that you're able to come on and join us.
0: Yes. Likewise. And, uh, unfortunately the substance of the content of the executive order was kind of drowned out by, um, you know, surrounding controversies and I can understand the reasons for those controversies, but it's, it uh, would be sad if, um, you know, if we, uh, didn't uh, grasp what's involved in the order. So I know that you are, according to the
1: introduction that I got, uh, we have never met face to face, but I saw that you are both a uni- uh, professor at the university of Notre Dame, as well as a, a religious freedom Institute, senior associate scholar. Uh, would you be willing just to give a short introduction about who you are before we jump into this?
0: Sure. Yes. Um, I'm a professor of political science at the university of Notre Dame, broadly speaking, a scholar of uh, religion and global politics, uh, written on, um, issues like, uh, reconciliation and global politics on the nature of religion and politics ar- around the world. Uh, religious freedom has been a big, uh, theme of mine. I just published a book last year called Islam and religious freedom. And, um, I've been uh, proud to be associated with the Religious Freedom Institute for the last uh, 10 years or so. It's a wonderful organization that um, promotes um, religious freedom very ardently around the world and, um, and tries to shape U.S. foreign policy um, to be a promoter of religious freedom.
1: I've I've never really gotten into sports at all, but uh, religious freedom <laughs> and politics—that is about as sports—that is right down my alley. So I'm super excited to to jump into this. Um, as we look at this executive order, it was signed by President Trump on June 2nd you put out an amazing article that that I was I read from uh, or where I saw it from was the uh, is called the America magazine uh, .org. Uh, America magazine.org did a did a really great article I think that you wrote uh, to kind of describe what the world is missing right now with the importance of this executive order. Uh, could you just break it down for us in really simple terms and tell us what happened? And how does that impact people from around the world as it relates to
0: religious freedom? Sure. Well, the background, um, Eugene, is the long-standing um, mandated policy of the United States government of promoting religious freedom, which was uh, again mandated by the U.S. Congress in 1998 through the Inter-religious, uh, sorry, International Religious Freedom Act. What that does is Congress said, we want the U.S. to promote religious freedom and we're gonna set up an office in the State Department, an independent commission and an ambassador at large. And it mandated them to do certain things. Um, For instance, there's an annual report that comes out, just came out on Wednesday uh, from the Office of International Religious Freedom that um, kind of details religious freedom around the whole world, where it's being violated, where it's practiced and so forth. And though we're also, you know, mandated to kind of go around to individual countries that are problematic violators of religious freedom and try to encourage, cajole, coerce, what have you, um, using the various diplomatic uh, tools to try to, um, you know, improve the situation. So we've had this religious freedom policy for about 20 years. And I think it's, I'm a big, I'm a strong advocate of having such a policy. I'm glad we have such a policy. But I have to admit that it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of its um, track record. In some things, ways, I think it's done some very good things. In other ways, I think it's kind of fallen short. But one of the things that I think it could really use, and this executive order helps to do that, is to give it more teeth and to kind of elevate it into higher, um, more thorough levels of U.S. foreign policy. Um, and you could say that the religious freedom policy has sort of been stuck or maybe a little bit isolated or marginalized, you know, at, on the you know floor of the State Department over the last 20 years. Um, yes, what's being mandated by Congress happens and it, it is, but it's never really been sort of at the center of thinking on the part of the president or the Secretary of State or the Department of Defense. And what I think this, um, you know, administrative order tries to do is to kind of lift up and elevate and integrate religious freedom much more thoroughly into American foreign policy. So what does it do? It um, requires diplomatic missions in violator countries to develop comprehensive plans of action for improving religious freedom on the ground, provides much more serious funding for programs that promote religious freedom on the ground, mandates training in religious freedom for all civil service employees in the State Department, Channel, channels foreign assistance towards promoting religious freedom, and tries and also affirms that religious freedom can and should be promoted in partnership with religious organizations and, and communities, whereas, you know, as opposed to the idea that, you know, the U.S. can't work with religious freedom because of the First Amendment or something like that. No, we can and should uh, work with religious communities. So those are the things that it does that I think makes religious freedom more integral and central to U.S. foreign policy. Uh,
1: as I was reading through this executive order, um, I, one of the things that kind of came to my mind right away is that, okay, great, this sounds great on paper, but who runs point? Who's the person or, or what is the department or who are the people that are tasked with actually making sure that these, the, these ideas are put into practice?
0: That's an excellent question, and, you know, this executive order can really only work if there's implementation, if it actually happens. I mean, one of the problems with it is it gives, um, you know, uh, the Secretary of State and the head of the Agency for International Development 180 days to formulate a plan. Well, by that time, we could have a new president, and it's anyone's guess whether the new president will take this up or not. And so this question of implementation is very important. The executive order seems to give the Secretary of State and the head of the Agency of International Development the kind of oversight follow-up, you know, to make sure that it happens. Uh, And I think, um, you know, I think Secretary Pompeo is, in fact, quite committed to religious freedom. I have little doubt that that he would follow up on it. Um, But that follow-up has got to happen, and there has to be somebody there to, uh, you know, to ride hurt and make sure it does. Uh,
1: you know, I have, I have spent some time with uh, Ambassador Sam Brownbeck, who's this, you know, yes. religious freedom uh, ambassador. I had lunch with him in D.C. And, and spent some time with him in his office when he was governor of, uh, Kansas. I mean, he is kind, I, 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 know his heart. I mean, I've spent some time with him privately on yeah. our knees in prayer. Uh, I've brought mm, Chinese beautiful. pastors with me from China to wow. spend some time with him. I mean, he has, he has, I, I don't think that he is somebody who's just filling a position. Um, I'm personally, this is my own belief. I really see a person that this is his, his focus in life. Uh do you think that the yes. the ambassador for religious freedom plays any role or what kind of role would they possibly be oh, able yes. to play in this in in this executive order?
0: Oh yes, I, mean, I the the ambassador for religious freedom is the primary kind of spokesperson and agent and uh public face of the religious freedom policy. And ambassador Brownback has been a, a fantastic uh articulator and and promoter of of religious freedom and leader. Um, And uh, so I think that this would, uh, policy would, you know, would and should involve that person quite integrally. Um, I mean, just by its very nature, some of the things that it calls for are going to involve uh, the ambassador, um, developing plans of action in countries, um, you know, training of foreign service employees and that sort of thing. I mean, the ambassador's, uh, remit and role just very naturally overlaps um and you know given who the characters are now i i i would fully anticipate them uh cooperating and um you know and uh you know the secretary of state can't give all of his time or even part of his time to religious freedom um but uh he would uh, be, be very wise to you know give a lot of the leadership of this to the to the ambassador and ambassador brownback is a uh, an ideal person to take that leadership.
1: Let me let me ask you this: uh, How do you think this executive order influences, at least in the short term, uh, foreign policy? Like interaction, like one of one of the one of the things that I saw in section two is that. Uh, when they write it out, they're actually saying that this shall be carried out in consultation with the administrator of the United States Agency for International Aid yes. Development, USAID. So, yes. you know, I've spent time, quite a bit of time uh, on numerous occasions inside of North Korea where I'm constantly seeing, yes. you know, bags of USAID rice, bags of or, or boxes of USAID oil. Uh, how do you think that this could impact that kind of that kind of aid that is given out let's say to a to a country that is a well-known not even really debatable violator of of religious freedom oh, like yes. north korea yeah
0: and of course north korea is probably number one um on the violator list uh, Although <laughs> yes. there are some other contenders <laughs> yes know, for the dubious honor but um well it's a it's a very good question and um i think that. Uh, you know, North Korea is particularly difficult because it's just so closed and so, you know, extremely repressive. Um, you know, when you're dealing with a kind of more, you know, semi-open country like Uzbekistan or you know, Vietnam or something like that, um, you know, there's much more room for kind of developing a kind of constructive relationship. I mean, that's by, by and large, what I see as kind of the most effective policy. Um, a kind of constructive relationship built or programs established to help to train government officials and help them understand that religious freedom doesn't have to be a threat that it can be a good thing that it can strengthen a society and kind of work alongside i think that the um kind of sanctions approach uh you know say if we were to sort of withhold those bags of food until you become religiously free um i think usually doesn't work and has has not worked over the last 20 years and um I don't think religious freedom, I, I, first of all, I don't think it's realistic. US government officials are going to do that, in the sort of, up our whole policy for religious freedom or, you know, impose sanctions or what have you. But, but I also think that, um, you know, uh, the, the most effective way is to kind of um, come alongside and try to influence more of a soft power approach, as you could say. So for Agency of International Development, you could see them sponsoring programs and Sponsoring trainings and sponsoring educations and rule of law education and, um, you know, uh, sort of cooperative uh, exchanges to kind of uh, inculcate the idea of religious freedom. And um, now maybe, you know, North Korea is maybe one of the tougher places for that to happen. You know, some places are just very, very difficult. I'm not sure what can happen. But um, I, I tend to think that that kind of approach uh, is the best one. And so, you know, USID funds a massive amount of programs and funds programs that are carried out by others often. Um, so, that for instance, it could fund uh, programs that, um, uh, y- you know, may be carried out by other organizations that do this kind of education and engagement and idea changing.
1: When I saw this, when I saw this executive order, for me, I personally was excited. I tried to uh, taper my excitement with the idea, okay, that this is, you know, it's written on paper, but what does that mean in practice? Um, And and one of the reasons why I've been super excited is because, you know, I've lived and worked in China for the last 20 years. And China was just appointed, as you probably already know, to a pretty prominent influential seat on the United Nations Human Rights Commission. And with that influential yeah. seat, they also get to choose the investigators to look into which countries are violating religious freedom. And I mean, yeah. in my mind, that is like, you know, especially working on a regular basis with pastors and Christians who are uh, actively suppressed on a regular basis uh, because of their religious beliefs uh, for them to be in charge of investigations and and looking into violators of religious freedom is a real concern <laughs> and so for yeah. the U.S to kind of do this uh, really felt like okay this is a separate, Uh, Kind of oversight where the where the u.s. Is is, which I trust more than China when it comes to religious freedom uh, Having this this uh, at least a goal on paper saying that this is what we stand for we believe that this is The the religious freedom is the bedrock for everything else that we see in society And we want to to push for that and and in the executive order it says we're making this a priority how do you see this? I mean, I know that this is just an opinion, but I, I wanted to ask you, how do you see this impacting this volatile relationship, especially right now with the, the trade war and the coronavirus? How do you see this impacting the relationship, if at all, with China?
0: Yes, yes, that's right. Um, yeah, it's also, it's a very good question. And I, I, you know, in general, when it comes to religious freedom, I, I start with the assumption that promotion of religious freedom, like the promotion of so many human rights, is, is an uphill struggle. And to sort of, you know, get that um, thinking in the, you know, kind of top levels of foreign policy where it's going to be competing with, uh, you know, trade and, you know, the virus and military uh, rivalry with China and so many other things. You know, that's an uphill struggle. It's a tall order, right? So one kind of comes in with low expectations. One, if anything, doesn't expect religious freedom at all. And so I don't know that Trump's executive, uh, this kind of executive order and the things proposed there are necessarily going to, you know, start competing with things like trade and the coronavirus and, you know, high level, uh, kind of high politics as it will. However, I think what it does though is that Uh, elevates uh, religious freedom in the kind of, um, you know, kind of foreign policy that happens a little bit on a more under the radar screen. Um, But nevertheless, is is important. Um, You know, foreign aid programs, the work that our ambassadors do around the world, um, funding, um, empowering religious organizations to, uh, be involved. And so there are religious organizations, there are institutes, for instance, that are involved in China that are trying to um, uh, put on, um, you know, rule of law programs and with, with Chinese officials. Um, now, those are under the radar screen. Those don't get the kind of attention that you know, the headlines do. But this executive order, you know, fortifies that, kind of helps those kinds of things where you know, fortifies the exchange of ideas. And, um, you know, I don't see, and again, this is a very tough nut to crack. China, you know, China's policies coming down from above are just getting worse. I just read the other day that um, they're saying to churches that if you want to kind of come out of the uh, isolation from the pandemic, you've got to agree to preach a patriotic message. Oh, I don't know what that means. Um Yeah, it's gotten really bad in
1: China. I mean, in the last so I I've been there for in the last two decades. um, I I mean, we've had hard hard spots, areas where persecution has popped up here and there, and we've we've always shared about the persecution. But for the most part, we were in an upward trajectory as as it pertains to religious freedom uh, up until 2017. 2018 yeah. and 2019 have been the two most difficult, oppressive years that I've experienced in the two decades inside of China, and it just feels like yes. we're going backwards. So you're absolutely right with you know them uh, coming out with these new directives, especially after the coronavirus. It has been it it has been difficult for everyone you know around the board when it comes to China and the underground, especially with the underground house church, which I am the most familiar with. So yeah, you this has been a really difficult time and, and uh, it is one of the reasons that prompted me to, to give you a call to kind of get information. Like, what does this mean for us?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would like it. I would like president Trump mm-hmm. to sort of to, to raise religious freedom when he meets with, uh, Pres, uh, you know, Xi Jinping and, um, you know, I would like this to be raised and, uh, you know, to be mentioned on the kind of list of things that matter. Um, but I don't necessarily expect that to change Chinese policy or, um, I certainly don't expect the U S to kind of start withholding trade or aid, trade or some kind of major sanction on behalf of religious freedom. Um, but, um, you know, uh, with respect to someone like China, China, maybe more, uh, kind of mid level efforts could be uh, promoted by which, um, I mean, I think that, you know, in many countries like China and Vietnam, I think the, the government just views religion as a threat, sees it as a threat to its legitimacy and um, to its, uh, you know, its basic raison d'etre. Um, but I think we, you know, want to trying to argue that in a true religious freedom kind of situation, uh, where you've got true religious freedom, religious actors are allowed to practice. Um, that's not a threat. That actually increases stability, um, you know, religious uh, organizations and churches are not interested in controlling the government or taking over the government. They they want to be free to do their work, right, and their their worship and their grow their communities. Um, and so we, we, you know, want to kind of convince people that, um, you know, that, that maybe uh, there's a lot more stability to be attained by allowing uh, uh, religious freedom, by having a kind of healthy... Um, separation of church and state, but the sort that allows for, you know, religious practice.
1: You Um, know... I, I know that you're Sorry. short on time. I, I, I told you 15 minutes. We've already gone over that. I apologize. Um, I've really enjoyed having you on here to kind of pick your brain. Uh, one last thing that I just, I want to ask, uh, maybe you don't, I mean, of course, we know that this is this is, would be your opinion, but after looking at the details of this executive order, what nation, if any, or region, or an area that has a, a, a certain kind of government setup would be the most affected from this directive coming from the United States.
0: Uh, yes. Um, well, it's hard to say exactly. I think um, you know the focus is. Go- I, I think one of the things that the executive order does is to call for a focus on the violator countries. So that's going to be China and Vietnam and Uzbekistan and. Um, you know, uh, Egypt and some of the Horn of Africa countries and and so forth. Um, I think that we're going to see the kind of, um, you know, engagement with, you know, the actors in in, in the population. And so um, I'm not expecting sort of U.S. foreign policy to change directions at the high levels, but I can see, um, you know, ambassadors to these countries you know, developing plans for how, you know, religious freedom will matter and how we engage. And maybe that will be involving strengthening actors on the ground who need religious freedom, maybe mm-hmm. strengthening actors on the ground who are there to promote religious freedom, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of building alliances and just, you know, be, just being more positively intentional about, uh, you know, finding openings for religious freedom, even at the margins, even in the interstices, Uh would be different from just ignoring it and saying that that's not one of our interests. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what I would see.
1: Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much. If somebody is listening to this podcast and they want to know how do I get the book that you mentioned at the beginning called Islam and religious freedom, or how do I follow some of the articles that you're writing about this subject? Where can they get information about you? Where can they go?
0: Well, I've got a website. It's, uh, danielphilpott.info. So it's my name, Philpot uh, then just, yeah, .info. And that, and I have all my books laying out there and, uh, various involvements and, and that sort of thing. And some of my articles on, on religious freedom are posted there.
1: Awesome. So, DanielPhilpott.info if you want to find out more information, especially as it pertains to this executive order, or if you would like to see some of his books, especially the one that he just mentioned Islam and Religious Freedom. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on, brother. I really appreciate it. It was an absolute joy.
0: Well, thank you for your good and courageous work around the world as well. And uh, it's very much, I wish you every blessing in that.
1: Awesome. Bless you, brother.
0: Okay, you too
1: bye Those, that is the kind of I, I really enjoy connecting with individuals that you know th- this, this is their life, this is what they study, this is what they look into because they can open up an entire world as it relates to this executive order I mean this is this is a huge executive order that was that was put together by the president and his team to promote religious freedom around the world now here's the thing. Right now, especially in the US, I'm not doing this podcast in the US, and the majority of our listeners are not, well, let me say this, the, uh, the majority of the, I don't even know how to say it, the percentage, the, the people where we are the, by percentage the most popular are not in the United States, though numerically we have the most listeners in the United States. So numerically we have the most listeners in the United States, but there are so many people that are listening to this podcast that are not in the United States, And as you look at the U.S. right now, you can see that it's completely polarized. And there is a fight on the line right now. And uh, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump of the United States, is a lightning rod, no doubt about it. He is a person that you either love or you hate. There's not a lot of people in between. He definitely creates a, a flashpoint for people and their emotions so when this came out there you know have been the protests around the united states and one of the things i i want to talk on this just really quick because as it pertains to religious freedom the 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 media if we are to be completely fair if we are to look at whether you like him or hate him um i can tell you from from where i sit as People that have listened to us several times know that I did not vote for the man, okay? I have the ability to vote as a U.S. citizen. It's one of my citizenships, and I have the ability to vote for him, and I did not. I actually voted for the constitutional um, uh, person that that came in, Daryl Castle. Uh, who actually probably got like point zero 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 one percent but I just I could not bring I couldn't drag myself to the place of voting for either one of the top candidates for the United States so I ended up that I mean I'm probably saying a little bit too much, right? Nobody wants to know exactly who I voted for, but there it is. It's on the table. I voted for Daryl Castle. And he was, a ho- <laughs> he was a great person, just a horrible candidate in the way that I pro- we probably have more followers on our Back to Jerusalem Facebook page than he has on his candidacy page. He could have done so much more during that time, but I don't know if he just got tired or he's like Sleepy Joe or what. But I'm telling you this as a person that did not vote for Donald Trump. That the mainstream media is not covering this in a way that I think is beneficial for all believers regardless of whether it was passed by Obama, regardless of whether it was passed by Bush, whether it was passed by uh, Clinton. It doesn't really matter. This this executive order speaks volumes. Now, on the day that he signed it, the mainstream media news was pointing to Obama or pointing to Trump because he had walked across the street to the Church of Presidents and held up a Bible, which they said was pandering. It, it, I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to say that you know he is a religious leader. I'm not going to say that he has the most exemplary life. As a Christian, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've had my two sons study him because I want them to follow in his footsteps. Absolutely not. But it's kind of difficult for me to uh, discriminate against a person who bravely went out, regardless of what you think about what, what happened to the protesters, which were not peaceful at the time that the church that he went to was destroyed. So, the church that he went to, the Church of the Presidents, uh, which was just across the street from the White House, had been attacked. It had been, uh, people had written all over the walls in graffiti. I mean, it was, it was violently attacked. Uh, then, it, then an arsonist set fire to the place and it had to be boarded up. So whether you agree with him or not, this was standing in solidarity with the Christian church. And then on June 2nd, he writes this executive order. Now, if you haven't looked at the executive order, I would encourage you to do so. That's why I asked uh, Daniel to come on because he, uh, for many, many reasons, is able to explain it so much better than myself. But one of the things that really caught my eye that you know I brought up to Daniel was the fact that this executive order mentions specifically that this shall be integrated with foreign policy and even foreign aid. This is a big deal because when you look at many of the countries around the world that have received a huge amount of foreign aid, many of them are violators, gross violators of religious freedom, human rights, animal rights uh, across the board. so whether you're looking at Palestine, whether you're looking at um, North Korea, whether you're looking at Somalia or you know other we just had our our good friend um, Olamide come on from Nigeria, Pastor Dawson from Nigeria, and he's come on and he's shared with us about the horrible number of Christians that have been killed every single day in Nigeria, every single day. You want to talk about lives that matter? The world has not a care in the world when it comes to the Christians that are being annihilated every single day in Nigeria. I mean, how many newspapers do you know of? How many TV stations do you know of that are carrying these photos, these pictures, these stories, these video footages of of Christians that are being uh, killed and massacred and raped? And we're not just talking about priests and clergy members. We're talking about mothers and children. There was one instance that I shared just a week ago of three small children... They look like they were in different ages, so I'm only assuming, I don't know, but I'm only assuming that they were probably in the same family. Three children were together, slaughtered, and I'm not just talking about slaughtered, I mean, not shot in the head, cut to pieces with a machete. I mean, dismemberment, parts of their body was laying close to but not attached to their bodies. Can you imagine the fear in those children's minds when they were running for their life, being chased by grown, angry men with machetes? And you don't die right away from when you're cut. I mean, you might see a movie where somebody's cut in the stomach. I, I just watched a, a, a movie uh, yesterday with my wife about, uh, uh, about Rome. And how uh, Mark Anthony took a sword and stabbed himself in the stomach. And he died within a second. Like, what? No. Yeah, you'll die. But not within a second. You're going to take a while to bleed out. I mean, it, it depends on what organs you pierce, right? These children, who knows what part was hacked off of them first? Screaming, crying. Which one died first? Because the others had to watch the other ones die. The fear in their eyes, the cries, who was there to hear them? And then only a few feet from them was their mother. I, I'm assuming it was their mother. It was a woman who was an older, of an older age that was old enough to be their mother. There was nothing in the pictures or the article that was sent by my friend, Pastor Dawson, who sent me those pictures. There was nothing to indicate that that was the mother of those three children. But it sure did look like it. I have to say, as I looked at the... That was what I deduced. There was one little child that, for whatever reason, was able to escape. But man, he got the tar beat out of him. He's maybe three or four years old. You can see it on our... You can go back through the history on my, newspaper, on my, on my Facebook feed. Face just swollen. Eyes black. Eyes swollen shut. Not able to see. What did he experience? What family members did he lose? And tell me, where is that on the news? This is a big deal. You want to talk about which lives matter? Why is it that when this is happening in Somalia, when this is happening in Sudan, when this is happening in Syria, when this is happening in Nigeria, not a freaking peep. Where? is the outrage, the horror, the passion, the compassion. These are lives, innocent lives, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. They were killed because they are believers in Jesus Christ. Doesn't even make sense. Let's pretend that you're not a Christian. For a second, pretend you're not a Christian if you are. If you're not, that's pretty easy to do, right? I mean, you're listening to this podcast, you're not a Christian. Okay, done. Not a Christian. Let's pretend you're an atheist. Do you not have enough humanity in you to see that children living in a Christian village are absolutely innocent? Innocent. Being chased down and hacked by Islamic extremists just because they're of a different religion? Let's pretend, let's pretend that those children come from... You might say, well, all religion is bad. And you might say, all religion is fake. Okay, let's pretend it's fake. Let's pretend that Christianity is a fake religion. And you as an atheist believe that there is no God. Fine. But you have a neighbor that believes in the, in, in, that Winnie the Pooh is real. Are you going to kill your neighbor because they believe that Winnie the Pooh is real? I mean, if you believe that the Bible is nothing but folklore and made-up stories that are just absolute fantasy, why would you want to see someone that believes in a fantasy die just because of their, 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 their ideas in a fantasy? You're not going to kill anybody because they believe in Jack and the Beanstalk, Winnie the Pooh, you know, my, my, my son grew up, he might have thought that, that Barney was, was real, the purple dinosaur. And I never met anybody that wanted to kill him because he believed in Barney. These people are suffering every single day. And I pray, my prayer, my deepest prayer, is regardless of what you think of the U.S. president is that we can see this executive order have an influence in places like Pastor Dawson's Nigeria, where he said Christians are being attacked. The last count was just, it's been two weeks ago since the last count, but the last count was 260 Christians since January 1st of 2020. 260 Christians, at least 260 Christians. And that was just up to the month of May. Pastor Dawson, in tears, was on a podcast. You can go back through the archives and listen to that podcast. Pastor Dawson was in tears when he wrote, or when he was on our podcast and he said, nothing's happening. Their leaders in Nigeria, the government leaders, have not brought one single person to justice. Why? Why? I'll tell you why, it's my opinion. My opinion, the reason why is because the as Dawson pointed out, as Pastor Dawson pointed out, they they have this kind of affirmative action program in Nigeria that makes sure that a certain percentage of Muslims get promoted to government positions. Because the Muslims live in the poor area, which is the the central area of Nigeria, in the northern part of Nigeria. And the Christians live in the more wealthy part of the country. Which makes sense. And and I pointed that out during the podcast. You want to know one of the major reasons why Christian areas have more freedom and more economic development and more academic development than their neighbors to the north? I'll tell you why. Religious freedom is one of the big reasons why Christianity creates an environment. When it's based on Christian Judaic roots and values, you have relative freedom relative to the other nations. You might, oh well, during the the uh, Spanish Inquis- Inquisition or during the the early days in the in the United States with with the. Um, uh, what was the 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 witch burnings? I'm trying to remember the name of it. I can't think of it right now. In the northeast part, with the uh, Salem witch trials, uh, you had the Salem witch trials. You had you know the Scarlet Letter story, and so these can easily be brought up, and maybe even going back to the Crusades, showing how intolerant and and deadly and 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 controlling Christian nations and armies and governments can be and have been. Don't deny it. I mean, that's how the US started, right? Those that escaped from uh, religious tyranny and tried to make it to an area where they could have their own freedoms. I mean, that is that is the story of the Mayflower, right? That is the that is the Thanksgiving 101 story. So I get it. But by and large, when comparing to other religious cultures and nations, you have religious freedom expressed the most in areas that have Christian Judaic values. I mean, it's across it's cross the board. It, it's, it, you can argue it all you want. The data is not on your side, the facts are not on your side. The data is what it is. But the thing that I'm pointing out here is that in the areas where they said, well, the north areas, the central areas of Nigeria, they're poor. They don't have the money for the fancy schools. They don't have the money for elementary schools and primary schools. They don't have the funding for people to have access to great education. Therefore, we must give them priority when it comes to bank loans, when it comes to government positions. And so what happens is you have an overwhelming majority that is not really representative of the people in Nigeria. You have an overwhelming majority of those that are in the government that are not really representative of those that are on the ground, the population, and so as a result, you have this imbalance. According to Dr. Do- or uh, Pastor Dawson, Pastor Dawson points out that the government then has an imbalance of representatives that take the side of those that are in the central and in northern areas of Nigeria, which are primarily Islamic, and they know the government officials know that if they do something that the people in the center and in the north are not happy with, there's going to be hell to pay. There's going to be violence. There's going to be attacks. There's going to be bombings. Shoot, there's already bombings. Pastor Dawson tells us about the the constant barrage of people coming from the center part of Nigeria and the northern part of Nigeria wanting to bomb their Christian areas in the south. And when they can't make it into the Christian areas of the south, they bomb the villages that are in their area that they have more access to. And they butcher people. It's absolutely horrendous. And so, I come back, Two, this executive order. What difference will it make in Nigeria? My prayer is that it will put more of a focus on any aid or uh, uh, agreements that we have in the future, whether they be political or economical or military, uh, mili- uh, anything to do with the military. It, whatever that we, whatever we do with Nigeria, I pray that this policy of religious freedom as it says in the executive order will take priority in the way that we engage i love the 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 way that it starts off in section uh part one section a let me see if i can just pull this up right here the executive order is not that long you can read it yourself but i in the in section one it says Religious freedom, I've got a lot of different windows all over the place here, so I have to kind of close out some windows so I can kind of see what's what's going on. It says, religious freedom, America's first freedom, is a moral and national security imperative. Religious freedom for all people worldwide is a foreign policy priority. That, in my opinion, if it is true... And not just words on a paper. If it is true, this is a game changer. When we make religious freedom for all people worldwide a foreign policy priority, that's a game changer. It will change how we communicate with leaders, how we engage with leaders, how we support leaders, how we partner with leaders how we run forums trade uh, how we sign trade agreements how we do military pacts how we do economic forums this has the potential and i say potential because we don't really know how it's going to it one of the challenges with this executive order is that as daniel pointed out it takes effect in 180 days In section two, it says prioritization of international religious freedom within 180 days of the date of this order. The Secretary of State shall, in consultation with the administration of the United States, agent blah 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 blah, within 180 days. As Daniel rightly pointed out, we don't know who the president will be in 180 days. So, Sadly, this executive order may not mean anything. My prayer, because right now there's only two candidates that we're really, really looking at strongly, right? Joe Biden and Donald Trump. My prayer is that either one that wins, whether it be Joe Biden, whether it be Donald Trump, that they take up this religious freedom executive order and carry it through. I don't think that governments are going to change the world in which we live in. I don't. But I do believe that governments can be impacted by the world that is created through the prayer, persistence, and evangelism of Christians. I put my faith not in a government, but in the men and women that are on the ground carrying out the last desire that was expressed by our Savior to take this good news of the kingdom to all the nations. To preach from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. I put my hope in the supernatural power of believers who get on their knees as prayer warriors and pray for change and impact. I put my faith in the God that controls all things, that can move through His people in ways that we never imagined. I put more faith in the evangelist farmer that is on the ground in Uzbekistan. I put more faith on that underground pastor who is in a house church in Iran. I put more faith on that brave evangelist who is willing to give his life in North Korea than in the United States government. Because when it comes to matters of spiritual warfare, governments are powerless. They actually carry out the orders of what's happening in the spiritual world rather than create the orders that's happening in the spiritual world. If you believe that Donald Trump or this executive order is going to bring about change in the unreached regions of the world or bring about areas like, I mean, as we listen to Daniel just say that when you look at China, when you look at North Korea, you what real power does Donald Trump in this executive order have over the world's most populated nations? What real power does Donald Trump and his, his religious freedom demands have over a tyrannical regime like Kim Jong-un? Absolutely zero. But I believe that an executive order of this nature could be the result of praying Christians. Do you know how long we've been praying for the church in Nigeria? How long we've been praying for the church in Syria? How long we've been praying for the Christians and believers in Iran? How long we've been praying for the believers in China? And it seems actually that things are getting worse inside of China. How long we've been working and toiling and sharing the gospel and sharing Bibles throughout all of North Korea? Do you think that we have a father that doesn't hear and listen to our prayers? I believe he does. And he moves in amazing ways. And he just... (laughs) Against everybody that might argue against this. You might feel that Donald Trump is such a cyst. He is an absolute virus that needs to be stopped. He is tyrannical and racist and unchristian in every single way. That might be your opinion. But do you think... That God can't move through him? Why do you think so many Christians keep referring to him as King Cyrus? Comparing, not just the Christians, the Jews. Comparing Donald Trump to King Cyrus. You may not agree with it, but the point is that God, in order to bless his people, the Jews, rescued his people from slavery out of Babylon through King Cyrus, the founder of Persia, and then used the, the, the founder of Persia, the king of Persia, the ruler of Persia, the most arguably the most powerful person in the world during his time once he conquered Babylon with very little resistance because he was so capable as a, as a ruler and a military leader that even though it, history shows us that he was most likely Zoroastrian, God still spoke to him and used him to not just give freedom to the Jews from the Babylonian Empire, but then he's like, you know what? Hey, Jews, take some gold for your people from Babylon. You know, these guys kind of screwed you over. Take some gold from them and go and build your temple in Jerusalem. You know what? Here, let me, let me look at my pockets here. I think I got some, something from the stinking royal treasury that I can give to you to go and build to a God that is your God for you to serve. And I will give an executive order to make sure everybody paves the way for you to do this for your true God. Comparison? Is it a stretch of the imagination to, to imagine for one minute that this could possibly be Donald Trump? Could be passed over to Joe Biden. Who knows? Maybe maybe both of them die. and I mean, they're both pretty old, right? I mean, they, they could die before November and somebody else steps in that God could use. Not because they are called to change the world, but because God answers the prayers of his people that poor farmer in Uzbekistan, that underground church in Iran, that passionate evangelist in North Korea. God answers the prayers of his people. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't answer the way that we would like. You ever pray for God to answer a prayer and you kind of have the answer already for him? I remember as a child going to a church where the, the church told me, you know, you have to pray for something very specific. Like, you know, I, if, if you want a car, don't just ask for a car. Ask for a baby blue 1967 Mustang. That was my first car. Pray for it specifically. But, over time, personally, for me, I've learned that I don't even know myself well enough to pray for what I think is needed. I don't know the situation. I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen the very next day. But if I submit myself to the will of God and follow in the format of the prayer that Jesus taught us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy will, not my will. I'm asking you for a baby blue Mustang, but you may have something better. I might be more reachable to you taking the bus. I might meet somebody that I'm supposed to minister to if I buy an old Honda. Honda. I might pray for something because I have my own desires, my own influence, my my own intellect, my own understanding which is absolute squat when compared to what you know. And I've learned I can't even for me I can't even pick the right woman for my life. If I would have picked a woman I probably would not have picked the woman that I married. But God knew me better than I knew myself and i've fallen so much in love with the one that i married that was brought to me i believe into my path by god that i mean it was love at first sight and we've been married you know 22 years and and i'm still madly in love with her I, today you know during this coronavirus we were just saying that we've we are so Thankful to God that we get to spend every day together during this coronavirus. Today, the two of us, we, we've been going out biking every day. Before that, we, we you know, we were spending time in the mountains. Every day, we go out and do something together. I wouldn't have chosen her because I wouldn't have even known what to pray for. You think I would have prayed for a blonde from Sweden? that grew up in Taiwan, that wants to be a missionary. That, that was not my goal. That was not my nationality that I was even focused on. I, 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 can't, I don't even know what to pray for. So I submit myself in the hands of God. And that means if Donald Trump is the answer to my prayer, then God, your will, not mine. And I pray that this executive order Be something that encourages and helps and becomes a resource for persecuted Christians living in closed countries around the world. I want to thank you so much for joining us for this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live from somewhere in the borders, within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.